Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Dante Fowler sounds off about his former Jaguars team. Did they give up on the former Lakewood High School and Florida Gator too soon? And John Lynch is a finalist for the Pro Football Hall of Fame for the sixth straight year. What are his chances and what have voters missed about the Bucks' safety? And we are two weeks away from the Rays' first workout. You see the comments Brent Honeywell made saying, hey, the Rays might have the best rotation in baseball when he comes back. The Lightning are in Pittsburgh. They restart tonight. Tyler Johnson will be back. We've got all that and so much more in this edition of Sports Day Tampa Bay. I'm Rick Stroud of the Tampa Bay Times, along with producer Steve Versnick. Hey, are you ready for a magical day on the river with the manatees? That's right. If so, seven days a week, you can experience the wonder and magical charm of Captain Mike swimming with the manatees in Crystal River. It's the ultimate family bonding experience. Now, I have done this, folks. I'm telling you, if you live in Florida, you need to do it. Um, It's absolutely wonderful. These are gentle creatures. They're enormous. You can swim right up next to them. Ask about their $30 manatee bronze tour and be sure to ask about their free offer for active law enforcement and officers in the U.S. military. Requires a purchase of two silver tickets at the regular price, and after that, you're eligible for a free tour. Now, Captain Mike's is the number one customized manatee tour company at Kings Bay and Crystal River. It's absolutely beautiful up there, 72 degrees year-round. Ask about their pontoon boat rentals, their kayak rentals, bicycle rentals, and so much more. Book online at swimmingwiththemanatees.com or call 352-777-1796. All right, so Steve, it's Wednesday at Super Bowl 53 in Atlanta, and this is the day that Commissioner Roger Goodell will have his Who? state of the NFL. <laughs> yeah, we right. haven't heard anything from him in how long? And it's been a while. Definitely Certainly since the championship since... games. <laughs> yeah, no, well, before this championship game, obviously, and he was at the Kansas City game, by the way, thankfully for him. But he has his state of the NFL address, um, long anticipated, where he, you know, kind of gives uh, about 30 to 45-minute question-and-answer series after he um, tells everybody how much the NFL is making and how it's the greatest participa- or greatest sporting event in the world, which it is. I-, I think the NFL, I think they're talking about revenues of somewhere around $25 billion this year. Some, yeah, so not bad, right? It, for those of you who think it's failing, not so much. But it will be, it will be interesting to see. He'll you know, obviously have to finally address – what was the egregious non-call in the NFC Championship game that kept the Saints out of the Super Bowl and put the Rams in it? You know, his silence has, I, I think, has, has been the wrong thing. I think people wanted to hear from the commissioner, if nothing else, admit the obvious. And, of course, their head of officials had done that, saying that they blew the call. And I think, the, of course, the universe knows they blew the call. But for him to come out and say, we're going to try to address it and, and look at a, a way where we can um, get something as egregious like that corrected and corrected right away during the game. Um, we'll see if he has plans for that. This is always a, a, a kind of a, it, it's a, it's a back and forth. I mean, there are some tough questions with, uh, to Roger. You don't, you don't have the national anthem sort of thing this year. I mean, there's, there's usually some overriding issue, but certainly they don't need any this year. It's clearly about the saints and about the integrity of the game and having, you know, I think three or four officials from South Southern California, which I thought a lot was was made of that conspiracy thing. You know, there was, you know, anywhere from, I think, San Diego uh, all the way to Northern California, if you will, people were saying, well, those guys are clearly biased towards the L.A. Rams. That was kind of ridiculous. But it, but the optics were bad on it for sure. So it's it's, it's worth it's worth viewing. I'm sorry I'm not there. You know, for years it was funny. I got to tell you a quick story. Sam Farmer, who writes for the L.A. Times, I may have told this story before. I'm going to tell it again anyway because it's, it's, it was always at this address that uh, invariably the AP would have the first question, and he will again, Barry Wilner, whoever it is. And uh, so the Associated Press goes first. And then very shortly thereafter, Sam Farmer of the L.A. Times would stand up. And Sam, you know, had covered the Rams for years. He's a columnist now with the L.A. Times. Uh, and, of course, there was one time when the, when the Raiders had 
or the L.A. had both the Raiders and the Rams there. And then 20 years went by, and they didn't have any football team. You know, the Rams went to St. Louis. The Raiders went back to Oakland. The Chargers were in San Diego. So the number two market in the country was left without a football team. So every year, Barry would go first from the AP, ask some banal question, and then uh, and then Sam Farmer shortly thereafter would stand up and say, you know, Roger, um, where what is the status of the NFL's effort to return a team to Los Angeles? And he'd talk about stadium and he'd talk about how important it is for the NFL, you know, to eventually, you know, have a team again, whether it's through relocation or expansion. But at the time, there just doesn't seem to be, you know, any immediate plans to move a team in there. And this went on every year. Roger, Sam Farmer, Los Angeles Times. Can you update us on the league's effort to put a team back in Los Angeles? Well, as you know, Sam, uh, there, you know, there's a lot of teams that uh, uh, have some stadium situations, but at the current – every year, next year, same thing. Hey, Roger Goodell, Sam Farmer, L.A. Times. So finally, of course, we know what happens. Stan Kroenke moves the L.A. Rams to back to Los Angeles to play in the Coliseum, and then all of a sudden, this here come the San Diego Chargers – and they move up, and they're also playing in L.A. Uh, at a soccer stadium. And so after that transpires, the very next year, Barry, Barry Wilner asked the first question, AP, then Sam Farmer, hey, Sam Farmer, Los Angeles Times, uh, Commissioner Goodell, when will the National Football League stop putting teams in Los Angeles? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it was – if you had been there for the 20 other years, it was really funny and it got the biggest laugh. But it's like now they can't stop. And, you know, now maybe the Raiders come there and they'll have three teams. Who knows? But it's it's just ironic that uh, – and here are the L.A. Rams. So I imagine Sam Farmer will have a, an early question about the Rams and whether they actually deserve to be in the Super Bowl or not. Um, but they do deserve to be in Los Angeles, I suppose. And um, there's a good story also I, I read, and I'm not sure who wrote it, about how St. Louis is not exactly celebrating this Super Bowl. Um, and you can imagine why. Yeah, they're I would still imagine left, not. Oh, they're still left with debt as a city on the Edward Jones, what used to be the Edward Jones yeah. Dome or whatever they call it now. And doesn't Stan Kroenke um, still own the St. Louis Blues, which has to sting too? I think he does, yeah. That's a tough one. Uh, you know, you, can, can you name the team, that, the last team to play a game uh, in St. Louis against the Rams, against the then St. Louis Rams? I'll help you. Your say, Tampa, Bay Buccaneers. Tampa Bay Buccaneers. It sure was. It sure was. It was the Bucks, and of course that was the the site of one of their proudest, most uh, miserable moments, which was when they should have beaten the greatest show on turf in the in the St. Louis Rams in the '99 NFC Championship game played in 2000. Um, led that you know greatest show on turf team. What was it? Six to five with four minutes and forty-four seconds to go, and the and of the five, two of those points was a safety because a punter, the ball was snapped over the punter's head through the end over his head through the end zone. So they had held the Rams of Kurt Warner and Marshall Falk and or you know, Orlando Pace and and you know four about three or four or five Hall of Fame players now um, to all of a field goal, and then of course you know the touchdown to Ricky Prohl late in the game, and then that led to uh, the, the Bert Emanuel catch or non-catch as it was. First time that the NFL ruled that something wasn't a catch. Um, and, of course, we know where that went after that. But, um, but yeah, that was also in, in that dome. Uh, and, you know, the Rams went to two Super Bowls, won one of them while they were in St. Louis, including that year when they beat the Titans. So, yeah, a lot of history there. Anyway, um, so we'll have the Roger Goodell dress will we'll be today. Speaking of the Super Bowl, did you see uh, your boy, Mike Smith, was hanging out? Yeah, he's uh, got a nice beard going. Looks well-rested. He, he looks re- He looks good. I like the beard. I mean, he kind of kind of a uh, kind of a Kenny Rogers, if you will. Um, you know, I was thinking if you put a, uh, a, rain, a yellow rain jacket on him and a nice uh, rain hat, he looks like, kind of like the Gordon Fishsticks guy. <laughs> He was the Gordon Fish. He absolutely was. And that goes sort of with the title of, well, maybe with the title of his book. You win. The name of his book, he's pitching a book. The name of his book is You Win in the Locker Room First, which uh, it's the seven seasons. I don't know. I've seen some dysfunctional locker rooms win games. Have you? Yeah, I have too. In fact, I covered a team that won a Super Bowl that way. Um, in the seven C's, speaking of Gordon Fisherman, the seven C's, you sell, you get it? Yeah. The seven C's to build a winning team in business, sports, 
and in life. So, yeah, you win in the locker room first, which, of course, would have helped if you won on the field second, but that was that was another matter. Um, but, I, you know, I like You Mike, mean Chris Mike Baker Smith. wasn't helping that? He was not. Mike Smith was uh, w- was a good man and a good head coach. Mm-hmm. Um, didn't have much success with the Bucks on defense, although there was the second half of the – There was five games. What would it, uh, was it just five games? I'm well, trying to think. The five, Last there was five year was really five. There was five really good games in 16 that got him the contract extension. Yes, yes. When he stayed. I, w- I would say it was more than five. It, I was, it was more than five, seven. but there was five that they were outstanding. Oh, they had two turnovers a game. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they were just yeah. – they were plucking the ball out of the air everywhere. I mean, I think Keith Tandy had four interceptions in the final five games himself. Mm-hmm. And remember Chris Conte, you know, against the Bears early in the year, and then again he did it late in the year against the Chargers, I want to say, or something like that. I don't know. But it was – yeah, it was they were getting the turnovers, and they thought, well, you know, Mike Smith at that time was interviewing for jobs, I think, with the Giants and maybe the Chargers, and they signed him to a big three-year contract, paid him a, what I'm told is a ton of money. But he said he has confirmed he's done with uh, – he's not seeking to become a head coach. I think he's done with coaching altogether. Um, so now he's an author, so now he's writing a book. Tony Dungy's written a book. I saw Tony Dungy everywhere on the air mm-hmm. um, pitching his new book, which uh, – Well, this is the is week of pitching books and pitching every other product at Super Bowl well, Radio Row. Absolutely. I mean, that's that's what you show up for. And um, in Dungy's book, I, I was watching uh, Laura Moody on Channel 13. She had him on this morning. And apparently he has sort of a fictional football team he wrote about. He had a little fun with Nathan Whitaker, who co-writes his stuff for him. It's uh, in In the book – they have a uh, a wide receiver that's a little selfish, and it's not really based on a true character. Oh Keyshawn wait a minute, Johnson. I, mean, I can't imagine. Wait, wait. Johnson. I, who, say, who I can, was I can think of a lot about. of receivers that are a little selfish. <laughs> yeah, but apparently this guy is very much like Key. Oh okay, okay. <laughs> he even laughed about it. He goes, ah, "I don't want you to think it's anyone in particular," and he he laughed. <laughs> um, so I I look forward to reading wait, it. Wide Maybe receiver that selfish. I've never heard that one before. Yeah, it's right. It's kind of synonymous, actually. And they have to be. They can't throw the ball themselves. Um, I started by by wanting to talk about Dante Fowler, but uh, let's do that now. So Dante Fowler, everybody's familiar with him in St. Petersburg, Mm -hmm. I would think. Um, Went to Lakewood High School. Just a phenomenal, phenomenal player. Actually was, I want to say he was benched his last three games of his senior year. He started freelancing or something like that, and they actually took him off the field. And he learned a lesson there. And then he goes to Florida. Uh, had an outstanding college career. I, I don't remember off the top of my head if he got in trouble when he was there. It seems to me he was okay. Um, and then was the uh, probably like the third or fourth overall pick, I think, of the Jaguars. And, of course, you know, the worst thing happened to him uh, in Jacksonville when I believe it was like either train, early in training camp or maybe the first OTA, something like that. He tore, he tore his ACL, as you recall, his rookie year. I mean, like right out of the shoot, you know. First guy to go down, boom, and that's that's devastating, right? I mean, not only for him but for the team as well, and um, you know, and then he, then he came back and and you know he did, you know he did have some trouble, you know, both on and off the field, but uh, got in a fight with one of his teammates. You know, they brought in a guy to sort of replace him, and um, so he got to talking about this, especially with uh, Sports Illustrated. They did a story on him, and we know that you know, of course, in October. The Jaguars traded Fowler to the Los Angeles Rams, and so here he is in the Super Bowl. Not only that, but the dude—I don't know if you've seen this on uh, on the interweb, as they say. Uh, after uh, you know, they go to overtime in New Orleans, and he made the penultimate play. I mean, he's the guy that knocked down mm-hmm. Drew Brees, that led to the floating interception of the guy on his back, that led to um, the seven-yard completion, which led to the game—you know—the game-winning field goal um, by Zerline from about, what, 58 yards or so. So, you know, all of that is because Dante Fowler uh, never gave up on himself. But he had some things to say about the Jaguars. And, you know, it it was – I don't know. I don't know how it comes across. I mean, I think I know what he was saying because now he's with the Rams. And his point was that, look, you know, there's there's all these great players, Hall of Fame credentials on the Rams – and, you know, it's a it's a virtual, you know, name who's who time start starlet team. But he goes, you know, when it comes to playing, he goes, these guys care about what you, you know, sort of what you need to care about. And he felt like the Jaguars got a little cocky, you know, got 
got a little too confident after they made it to the AFC Championship game and lost to the uh, to the Patriots. Well, we always talk about and, how do you handle that success. Yeah. How do team you know teams that struggle for a long time and, and put together a season like they did? How do you how do you come back the next year and handle that success? It's particularly in the Jaguars' case when you don't have a quarterback. Mm-hmm. That was a phenomenal defensive season they put together to make that run to the, you know, and, and maybe should have beat the Patriots in the Eastern or the Eastern AFC uh, Championship game. But right. you know, how do you do that without a quarterback and stay grounded and, and try to duplicate that success? And it's not easy to do. That's I mean another reason you just marvel what the Patriots do year after year. Yeah, I mean, and uh, and we'll talk about the Patriots here in a minute. But yeah, no, I, I agree with all of that. But there is a part of it that sounds a little like, you know, and here's what he said about what he thought happened to him in Jacksonville. He said, after I tore my ACL, I feel like they gave up on me going into my next training camp. These three years, I was trying to prove to them that I was the guy they could trust, and I was trying to be the guy that they drafted me to be, but I never got a chance to start a game. Uh, when it's all said and done, I feel like they just gave up on me. You know, they brought in another player, um, and he actually got in a fight with that guy. But he used to always go and ask why he was sitting on the bench. He says, I can admit I was depressed. I've never been in a bad place like that before. Uh, one of the darkest times of my life made me question my love of football. Dreaded going to work, knowing how people feel about you and think about you. I had a dark cloud following me. Quite frankly, and, and I'll be writing about Dante Fowler later this week, but, you know, he caused a lot of his own problems. I mean, I you know, you could say this about, about the Jaguars is that he averaged, I guess, around 50% of the snaps, you know, per game in 2016 and 17. And he was sort of up and down. He had 14 sacks, 22 quarterback hits over 39 games, which isn't bad, um, but not what they drafted him to be. And a lot of his opportunities came on third down where, where you should be able to get to the quarterback. But, you know, so he didn't produce at the level that they paid him. And, yeah, they did give up on him. And I think part of it was – all the off-field stuff, you know. Uh, he had an incident in St. Pete uh, as well, you know, during an off-season. And, you know, like I said, got in a fight and got suspended a game, you know, with one of his teammates. So there were other things that Fowler did that were his fault. And I don't know if he's taking full responsibility really for him or not. Um, but I will say this, that, uh, you know, he, he believed that the, that the Jaguars got a little over their skis and were a little too cocky. And um, now that he's on the other side, he sees where, you know, everybody just kind of does their job. And and he absolutely, I mean, his play against the New Orleans Saints, um, you know, if Drew Brees completes that ball and they go down and, you know, they, they're going to win the game in overtime. I mean, everybody talks about the coin toss in overtime. You know, the Rams would have gotten the ball and had a chance to score a touchdown. But, you know, the way Drew Brees and that offense is, is if, if they go down and score, you know, that, that game might be over and the Saints might be going. Of course, we know why it got into overtime because of the non-call for the pass interference. But Dante Fowler, made an unbelievable play, and after the game, Aaron Donald goes up to him, and this is captured on video. I've seen it on Twitter a few times where, I mean, really, Fowler is, you know, just crying and, and uh, you know, uh, real emotional, and, and you know, he's, he's being told, hey, man, you made the play. Like, you made the play, and you can just see all the frustration and the doubt that he probably had, and here he is now on the biggest stage, and – you know, a guy like that could be a Super Bowl MVP by Sunday at uh, 9.30. You know what I mean? I mean, it's pretty remarkable that, um, that that could be his story. So also coming up uh, at the Super Bowl, and this will be on Saturday morning, the uh, Pro Football Hall of Fame Selection Committee, which is made up of uh, writers, mostly writers, I think, some members of the Pro, I guess the Pro Football Writers Association, some broadcasters as well, uh, will gather, uh, I guess, around 7 o'clock in the morning and begin not debating uh, who's going to be elected to the, you know, the modern-day players to the Pro Football Hall of Fame. And there's 15 finalists. John Lynch is one of them. And this is the sixth straight year that John Lynch has made the, the 15 finalists. They cut it down. You know, they started 100 and goes to 25 and then 15. And Now, in football, you know, it's a little different than baseball, correct, where the longer you're there, the less likely it's to happen, correct? Um, like baseball, you tend to you tend to get more as it goes along. Most players, no, there's a few that drop off, but I would say that the longer you're a finalist, if you're like if okay. you don't get 
if you don't get quote unquote in the room, as they say, what we say in the room, and what we mean is you're not one of the 15, because you have to be one of the 15 finalists to actually then have a debate about you. So okay. somebody will present you in front of the other 40 something voters. And you don't get that opportunity as a player unless you get unless you become a finalist for that year. And there are many that have been finalists one year and then they move out and then a couple of years later they come back in um, based on what support they have because the people vote um, when that list of 125 or whatever come out and they vote it down to 25 and then then 15. And once you make 15, then you know you're at least got a chance to go to the Pro Football Hall of Fame as part of that class because you're in the room, so to speak. So. John has been a finalist now. This is his sixth, sixth straight year. And to put that in perspective, the more times you're in there, the percentages go up that you're going to make the Hall of Fame. I mean, okay. um, not many guys that are in there that long don't. And to give you an example, when John, his first year that he was a finalist was 2014. So he was one of 15. There were 14 other other players, you know, that were part of that nominating class. They didn't all get in that year. Only five get in. Of those 14, every one is in the Hall of Fame right now. So every player that was part of his original class has made the Hall of Fame except him. That bodes pretty well for him. Is it possible he won't get in? Sure. He may not get in this year. I mean, this year, you know, just if you look at the field, and this really shouldn't shouldn't affect it, but sometimes it does, you have another safety in Ed Reed that is an absolute, you know, first ballot Hall of Fame player. I think most people would agree. Um, and then you have Tony Gonzalez, you would say the same thing about. Champ Bailey is a defensive back that was one of John's teammates in Denver. Um, he could also be first ballot. There's some talk about maybe maybe he is, maybe he's not. Um, so that's that's you know potential of two, maybe three Well, and if Champ spots. goes in first ballot, that's already two defensive backs. That would be two defensive backs, and Champ was also a Denver Bronco, and Pat Bolin, the Broncos owner, is going in as a contributor, we believe, so I don't know how much of a Denver thing this would become. I mean, these are things that sometimes voters should not pay attention to but do. Um, they like good stories, too, and they like to mix it up, and then also by position. You know, safety is one that was ignored for 15 years. You know, they, there's there's fewer safeties in the, in the Pro Football Hall of Fame than any position, I believe, except maybe kicker uh, or punter, but you know, it, it's one of those positions that's always been really hard to define, and yet we're kind of entering a couple years here where you had Brian Dawkins last year, which absolutely, you know, hurt John because Dawkins got in. Um, I think the year before they kind of split the votes, but Dawkins got in last year with the, you know, from the Eagles, and then uh, this year you have Ed Reed, and then next year you're going to have Troy Polamalu. Um, so, you know, these that's some people think he's a first ballot Hall of Famer. But Lynch absolutely deserves to be in, and I'm going to sound like a homer, and that's okay because I watched the guy play, you know, all what was it, uh, ten years or eleven years here in Tampa Bay, something like that. Mm-hmm. Played, let's see, played fifteen total, and and four of them were in Denver, so eleven, eleven, I think he played in Tampa Bay. Made the Pro Bowl nine times, including all four years in Denver after the Bucks uh, were were through with them. They actually failed him on a physical for stenosis um, two years after the Super Bowl, but. You know, so yeah, it's. I think I think he's trending. You know, hopefully he has a solid. He wouldn't be in the room if he didn't have a solid base of support, and, and so you know we know that that's the case. But if you look at his numbers, you know he had over a thousand tackles, thousand fifty four tackles, twenty six interceptions, sixty eight pass defense, sixteen forced fumbles, nine fumble recoveries, thirteen sacks. Uh, you know, this guy was. I mentioned the nine nine Pro Bowls. He was two time. All pro, he you know was two time second team all pro, won a Super Bowl, all those things, and yet people focus in on the interceptions because they're lower than many players at his position that are in the Pro Football Hall of Fame, and the the task will be, as it always is, to try to convince people uh, what he meant to this defense. I mean, you know, this was one it, this was one of the all time great defenses I think in NFL history, maybe for its longevity, but also that 2002 season, no one's going to say that they were better than the Steel Curtain, okay? No one's going to maybe – I mean, I think they compare favorably with, say, the 2000 Ravens or something like that. They had sustained success. They were really, really good. To think that there were only two players on that defense that deserved to be in the Pro Football Hall of Fame I think is short-sighted. I think it's – I mentioned the Rams. They already have four trying to get maybe like five players in the Hall of Fame from that offense, the greatest show on turf. And while they did go to two Super Bowls and the Bucks 
only went to one and won it and then lost to the Rams in the championship game or would have gone to two uh, with that defense, and it was purely the defense. You only have two players in the Hall of Fame. They were both first ballot guys in, in Warren Sapp and in Derek Brooks, but Lynch was part of was such an integral part of that defense and how it worked. And, you know, they played a lot of zones as a cover two team, but the way they used John was, you know, sort of unique to John in, in walking him up to the line of scrimmage as a, almost as a linebacker, rooting out the ball carrier on rundowns on first and second down. And then he could be anywhere on coverage on third down from covering the slot to, uh, you know, to playing too deep or whatever. And quite frankly, it was a different time. I mean, people did not throw the ball as much as they do now. They'll throw it 50 times in games that they're, you know, ahead by 14. I mean, it's not – the rules have changed because, you know, people will argue that John could not have played in this year because he blew people up over the middle of the field, used his helmet to do it. He would tell you that he's a smart enough guy he would have adjusted. But I still think that, um, you know, they didn't test John in coverage. Uh, and yet I've, I've talked to Brett Favre about Lynch. Favre played – started more games at quarterback than, than any player in NFL history. Uh, and, you know, he played the Bucks twice a year when they were the NFC Central for, for about 10 years before realignment. And he told me that he thought Lynch was as good a player as he's ever seen at that position, both in coverage and, and run support, because he couldn't trick him. He was never, he was never out of position. He was a, such a smart football player that he said there were very few guys he didn't like not playing. In other words, it didn't never really bother him who they were playing, but he didn't like playing against the Buck. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowl and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowl and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details and particularly against Lynch um, because he says he was at the top of the list in terms of guys that were just really smart and you, you could never beat them. So um, I'm, I'm hoping this is his year. I think he has a really good argument. You know, people talk about, well, he played with great players, but then you look at his career in Denver and he made four more Pro Bowls and he was used in a different way, a little different position. He didn't have many interceptions there either, um, but they used him on third down as a run blitzer. And one year I think he tied for the – team lead in sacks with four and if you look at those defenses and they had a top 10 defense they went to the AFC championship game I think one year the only other player was champ I mean it was him and champ Bailey were the two two top players nobody else was a hall of fame worthy player so John continued to play at a high level even without Warren Sapp and without Derek Brooks so he's in two ring of honors he's in the Broncos ring of honor even having played there just four years obviously he went to the Bucks ring of honor a couple years ago how does being so a GM we'll affect this? Does it help? No, does it hurt? It... I mean, they didn't have a very good year this year, but, I mean, Garoppolo got hurt early in the season, and everyone thought that was a great move a year ago when he traded for him yeah. for the Patriots. Yeah. You know, does it I help? Does it, it hurt? Does it not matter? I mean, it keeps think... him front and center, I think, in front of people. But I think it matters. I, I, I think it matters. I do. I mean, look, we're all writers. We like good stories, and, and – you know, we we are it's a human business, right? I mean, for if you're going to say to me that everybody knew Terrell Owens was a Hall of Famer, right? Why did he wait so long to get in the Hall of Fame? Well, there's there's a lot of theories about it. If you talk to some players, they say he destroyed every locker room he was ever in. They didn't help his team win. That he actually did the opposite. So he didn't read Mike Smith's book. <laughs> he did not read Mike Smith's book. But also, I happen to know that he was a Class A jerk to the media. You know, and, and, you know, so nothing against my Hall of Fame voters. I, I know they all have integrity and would like to put their personal feelings aside, but it's a human business, you know, and I think there was an element. I'm not saying all of them, but I'm sure there are people that felt like, you know what, you were a pain in the ass to cover. I don't, I, I thought, you know, your numbers say you're a Hall of Fame player, but we're not putting you in on the first ballot or maybe even the second one. And, you just had to wait your turn. I think the opposite could be true. Now, you know, there's no nicer guy in the world than John Lynch, but I think it does help your visibility if writers and pro football hall of fame voters that are writers are coming to you 
like Peter King and others in saying, and I'm not, I'm not putting any words in Peter King's mouth, but I'm just saying, you know, like, can I sit in your draft room and, you know, and, and, and see how this is done with the 49ers? I mean, your visibility matters and, you know, will that get him in the hall of fame quicker than if he was being a broadcaster at Fox? I don't really know, but you know, they, they do like good stories. Now, Paul Amalu will probably be a first ballot next year. If John were say John weren't to go in this year and he, and for some reason he didn't make it next year, two years from now, if he's still GM, we'll see what, even if he's not the Super Bowl's in Tampa. Well, does that, is that a good story? If, if, if he's God forbid, still not in the pro football hall of fame, but the Super Bowl's in Tampa and he becomes a finalist again. Yeah. It's a good story. You know what I mean? Like that may have weight with some voter. It doesn't take, you know, this, these things are so close that it doesn't take that many. They go from 15, they vote to 10. And once you get to 10, then, you know, you just have to be one of the five that are left standing and you're, and you're in the pro football hall of fame. So we'll see what happens to John Lynch, but, um, that's one of the things that happens on on the Saturday before the Super Bowl, and it's really important and really stressful. And uh, the way they do it, by the way, I think I've told this story before because uh, you know Eddie DeBarlow went in, and he's somebody that my wife works for. But so they take these guys, and you know the NFL Honors Show starts around I don't know seven o'clock or so. It's that award show where the class will be revealed, class you know Hall of Fame class of two thousand and what nineteen. And then they have all the awards for the most valuable player, the Walter Payton Man of the Year, all that stuff. So it's a, it's a NFL contrived award show on the eve before the Super Bowl. Pretty cool event, red carpet, the whole deal. And but what they do is they take the 15 finalists. And this is after the voters have met all day, and the 15 finalists are told to go to a hotel, a specified hotel in the city where the Super Bowl is, Atlanta. And it's not the hotel they're staying at most times. It's usually just a hotel, and the and the NFL commandeers like you know 15 different rooms in that hotel and so you go you're at a specific time you show up they give you a room key you go to this room you're not staying there but you essentially sit there and wait and if the phone rings it's going to be the hall of fame telling you you didn't make it right so you don't want the phone to ring and so hopefully letting the front desk is not calling to see you know if, if you need turn down service but basically you're in there, and the phone rings. They're going to tell you. Can't you hey, just I'm let sorry. it go to voicemail, and not answer it? I mean, that's what most people. Well, do. you you could, but you can be there a long time. So <laughs> they're going to they're going to call. They tell you they're going to call you. So they call you, and you're like, oh, you didn't make it. And then then now you're supposed to leave the room, go downstairs, and they have a bus waiting outside, and that bus is going to take you to NFL Honors. So you're going to be in the audience, and they're going to recognize you as you know a finalist or whatever, and then they're going to announce the actual class. So then, so all the guys, this is it's depressing as hell to watch. So all the guys, you know, heads down, they've been crushed again, sometimes many times over. I've I've seen it with, you know, with players that they eventually all get in. I mean, you know, Jerome Bettis, you know, I've seen it with Tim Brown and um, Terrell Davis and all these guys that were in that room multiple times, and it's like they come out and it's like, oh God, man, another year, I'm a Hall of Famer, and but they get on the bus and they go and they try to put a happy face. Then comes the knock on the door. And if you're there and you get a knock on the door, it's going to be David Baker of the Hall of Fame with a camera behind him welcoming you to the Pro Football Hall of Fame. And it's a really cool thing. And then they all assemble down in a room, and then they go over together as a group. So, you know, the finalists, like the people that get in, don't know until they go downstairs. And then, you know, here comes Brett Favre, and then here comes Tony Dungy, or, here, you know, that sort of thing. So it's cool, but it's also cruel. You know what I mean? It's like there's got to be a better way to do this. <laughs> Because it's, you know, you're sitting there with your, and you're with your family, you're with your wife, you might be with your kids, you know, just waiting on the call from the hall. Now, do you have to go to that room at like 7 a.m. when they start talking, or is it later in the day they assemble everybody? No, the actual voting begins early in the morning, like it does. It begins at 7 a.m. And because you have to debate, you know, you also have a senior candidate. No, but I mean, like the, the finalists, do they have to go to that hotel room at 7, or do they no, get no, like, no, no, like no. at noon or no. 2 or whatever? Yeah, later? yeah, okay. no, they go late. They're okay. only. Ideally, they're only there for an hour. Okay. Ideally, okay. Well, that's not that's not hour. as bad then. I mean, but the day no, no, is it's, so long. it's no, it's bad, but it's not. I uh, mean, I'm telling you, that walk. I remember doing it. Um, we walked with Eddie DeBarlow. We, we were in San Francisco, and he was at a hotel, it happened to be across the street from the one that he was supposed to wait with his wife. But that walk, that day is so long. You got people in from out of town. Everybody's thinking you might get in. Your wife is there. Your family. Your kids. And it's like, we're just waiting. And it's like, well, what's going on? What do you think's happening? Any, any tips out of the room? Any news? Any leaks? Any going on? You hear anything? And, of course, you don't. 
and then and then it's like you know it's go time. It's like okay, we're gonna make the walk to the hotel now. Here we go. It's so stressful, and you do this more if you do it more than one or two years. Man, it just wears on you. You know, you're lucky to be a finalist, but but you just wonder like when is my turn coming? Um, so yeah, it's it's rough, but you don't have to be there all day. That would be that would be really that would be harsh. Yeah, no, I, I didn't yeah. think so, but you know, you never know. Yeah, no, that would be really harsh. So we'll see what happens. I mean, I hope it's John's year, and and um, there's a lot of reasons to think that it could happen this year. Um, and then there's many people that don't think it will, but he's going to get in. He's a Hall of Famer. I, I think there's enough support for him, and it's just well, it's just what would be really interesting. And granted, you know, I hope John gets in this year, but whether it's next year or the year after, imagine if it's the 49ers in the Super Bowl. And the day before oh, the Super cool Bowl, too. Lynch has to go through that. And maybe he gets in, maybe he doesn't. That'd be, uh, that would be well, rough. You know what? That would be a rough. But, I mean, because you've got, all the, you've got everything around your team with the Super Bowl you're dealing with the day before the Super Bowl. Wouldn't that, be a, wouldn't that be a welcome distraction, though, do you think? I don't know. I mean, I guess I don't know what a GM does the day before the Super Bowl. I mean, I know what coaches and players are doing. Or you hope you know what they're doing as far as game planning and yeah, that. but I mean the GM. I don't know what the GM's duties are at that point. Making sure his guys get back from Mexico. Yeah, <laughs> like observing curfew. You know, I mean, really, not pulling I mean, Stanley Wilson know, or anything. Stanley else. Wilson. No, seriously, like all those things. You know, hey, wives, uh, tickets, uh, stuff comes up. Yeah, I mean, I think your job is to make sure that everything is is handled properly. Is is the but, champagne going to be cold when you win? But so maybe it'd be a distraction. Mm-hmm. But what would be worse is you know this is like the most exciting time. You know, you're the GM of a Super Bowl team, and you're up for the Hall of Fame. And you don't make the Hall of Fame. I mean, it would just put a bummer on the weekend. Or well, you certainly wouldn't want to go for two. Well, right. yes, absolutely. Because <laughs> if you don't get in the Hall of Fame, there's a chance the next day you could actually win a Super Bowl, and I think that would take the sting yeah. off of but it. But, yeah, if you but, lost both, ooh. Oh, that's <laughs> that would be horrible because nobody cares. That's the thing about the Super Bowl. It's like you won. It's immortality. It doesn't matter if you're a good or a bad team. Like, you got the hardware, baby. You you are Super Bowl champs. And and I love the – everybody goes, they can't take this away from me. Well, who would try? But, you know, you're – you're Super Bowl champs, and your legacy is secure. But if you lose, nobody really really cares who played, you know, that Carolina lost to the Panthers on the last second field goal, really? You know what I mean? Or that, you know, they got, you know, they, they lost to Denver and mm-hmm. Peyton Manning. I mean, nobody really cares. Yeah, do you remember you know, the loser of the Super Bowl many years? I mean, if your team's in it, it yeah, of course, but. But no, you don't. And you don't, you don't care how they played. You don't care. Yeah. You know, there's been a lot of games come down to last second field goals and, you know, the Rams lost that way. I mean, but, you know, what about Seattle? Seattle could have won a couple of those. And, you know, they don't give the ball to the beast mode and, and uh, they throw the pick and, and Brady wins. Yeah. That's the thing about the Patriots. You know, you forget. Like, this is their ninth Super Bowl, right? But they've lost three of them. Every one of, of them. Every, all, every eight could have – every one of them could have gone a different way. No question. You they were, ones they they were won all and the ones games. they lost. Yes. In fact – to give you an example, I think the average margin of victory uh, for either team in the games that the Patriots have played in the Super Bowls they played, which is this be they played in eight, so the average margin of victory even in the games they lost was four and a half, and versus the other Super Bowls during that era um, have have been about the average is about almost fifteen points difference. Wow! So it's either blowout or the Patriots are in. So you can expect a close game. I mean, that's they always play close Super Bowls. And you're right. They could have. They could have easily won two more. They could have lost all of them. Um, but if they were to lose, they would be. I mean, the Giants made two sick plays. Oh yeah. To to win those two Super Bowls. I mean, otherwise the Patriots could have. What the Patriots could have lost to the Falcons easily. I mean, they could, down well, they were down twenty eight to twenty eight to three, yeah. and then and then Seattle just has to hand the ball mm-hmm. one more time yeah. on the one yard line, and you know they're gonna Marshawn Lynch is gonna score. But even, you so, know, their first one against the Rams, you know, Kurt Warner was on Dan Patrick's show today talking about, you know, Patriots get the ball, the Rams have all the momentum. You're thinking they're just going to take a knee and play for overtime. Sure. You know, and, and Brady comes down and Belichick, you know, decides to go for it and they go down and score, kick the field goal. You know, but, you know I mean, but that game could have easily gone to overtime and then, it, you know, who knows who wins. And the legend of Tom Brady did not begin. I mean, everybody thinks, of, well, you know, that was he was the greatest of all time. Not then he wasn't. He had you like know, 100, he or, less than 150 yards passing that game. Until the final drive when he passed for about 53, he had, mm-hmm. un, he had just barely 100 or under right. 100 yards. Yep. I mean, it was like 
He was the MVP with 150 something yards passing, mm-hmm. which is incredible, you know. And and then, you know, because I mean, he did he didn't have the pedigree and sort of the early you know overall success that that you see you know with 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 the Rams quarterback and and sort of what you know what he's been doing. I mean, well, it's a difference of being the 199th pick and then you know Jared Goff who's first overall early first round you know pick yeah. or you know Peyton Manning or you know any one of the first round you know early first round picks. I think this is the eleventh or twelfth first overall pick at quarterback that has that has played in the Super Bowl. It's very it's very common. I would have thought there have been more, quite frankly, um, but there's been like eleven or twelve. And Jameis Winston is not on that list. But those are the guys. Those are the guys that go to Super Bowls, right? Mm-hmm. Your Peyton Mannings and and uh, you know guys like that, Cam Newton. And, well, it's kind of hard because so in the AFC of the last eighteen. Uh, 18 years, only two quarterbacks outside of Roethlisberger, Manning, and Brady have represented the AFC. That's right. Gannon for Oakland against the Russell Bucks. Wilson. Well, no, for the AFC, it was Gannon oh, for Oakland right. against the Bucks, and then uh, mm-hmm. Joe Flacco for the the Ravens. That's right. Those are the only two That's quarterbacks right. not named Manning, Roethlisberger, or Brady to represent the AFC in 18 seasons. I'll throw you another one. You know, everybody talks about the greatness of the Patriots, and they are great, but. You know, when you look at during this run, you know, during these 16 years or whatever, they've dominated the AFC East. I mean, it's you know, they've mm-hmm. won the division almost every damn year. Those teams that they're playing, if you take away the games they play against the Patriots, almost all of them are like 500 teams. Yeah, about 500 teams. They're not, they're not as bad as everyone thinks they are. They're not. I mean, the Patriots make them look god-awful. Mm-hmm. You know, like they just suck. Like well, they're – the Patriots the also the make they're, they're okay. The Patriots also make them make rash decisions. Sure, it's coaches or quarterbacks or any number of things. They don't stick with the plan sure. long enough because the Patriots have them looking just bad enough. Because yeah, they're 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 five hundred teams. They're better than most teams in the NFL, but they because they play the Patriots twice a year mm-hmm. instead of being you know seven and seven, they're seven and nine. Right. They're right. Jeff Fisher. <laughs> Jeff Fisher. The well, this this game, I, you know, Colin Coward, I'll give him credit. He was describing it's so, it's sort of true too. Like, uh, and we talked about. Well, I'm glad that there's a villain in this game. But like Boston, you know, Belichick is is sort of like this is the evil empire, right? Like he's the guy that that would appear at least to be sort of analytic, non feeling. You know, I mean, he was going to trade Brady. Okay, he got in a spat because he wanted to keep Garoppolo. I'm convinced that if you know. If the owner Bob Kraft doesn't step in, that Brady may have may have been made a, to make a decision, and, and right now Jimmy Garoppolo would be no, there playing. wouldn't have but, been a decision. Belichick would have made the move. I mean, he's yeah, he he would have done it. He Absolutely. does it to everybody. He He'd rather lose someone a year too early than, than lose them a year too late. Too late. And so he's he's very and you know and, and there's an arrogance about sorry sorry child fans there is an arrogance about that city. Mm-hmm. You know, the Red Sox didn't win for 100-something years, and now it's like they invented baseball, and congratulations to them on their number of World Series. But um, but, but there's there's sort of a, you know, kind of a cold sort of, eh, blah, you know, whatever. Uh, we want to win, and we're going to win now. Uh, and, then, and then there's L.A., which if there is a more star-studded team in the NFL than the L.A. Rams, I don't know who they are. You know, you, you've got their coach, you know, and, and this is what Coward was saying, and he's so right, like their coach fits – you know, he's the young sort of matinee idol, you know, could play it in the movie type, you know, head coach, you know, in, in Sean McVay. And, and you know, you've, and you've got big names. You know, you got name stars like, you know, um, Aaron Donald and Sue, and then they go get a mm-hmm. keep to leave, and they get Gurley, and, you know, then here comes C.J. Anderson. It's like, whatever you need, we're going to keep bringing cast of thousands and, you know, and and they're they're nothing rattles them, and they're kind of L.A. cool, and you know, it's it's perfect. Like it's the perfect sort of matchup, really. When you look at these two teams, um, they they really do sort of fit their community. So I was wondering, like, what is Tampa about? <laughs> well, uh, funny what? funny story about L.A. And and I saw one of the the writers, and I I don't remember which one it was. I think it was on Monday or Tuesday. It must have been Monday. They tweeted this, and it might have been Sam Farmer, but it may not, it may have been somebody else. Mm-hmm. tweeted that the Rams are in the Super Bowl and the top three most read stories of their sports section online, which you can track all yep. those clicks. I know what you're going to say. the Lakers, Celtics, and USC. Or uh, La- yep. Lakers, uh, Dodgers, USC. 
Lakers, Dodgers, and USC, yeah. Yeah, which, I believe you it. know, those are the three most popular teams in that town. Now, you know, the Dodgers, they have, you know, everyone thinks that team's a mess and who they're signing and not signing and not going after Bryce Harper particularly. The Lakers, of course, have LeBron James and – and does he want a new coach, et cetera, et cetera. And USC has all kinds of issues and problems. But the Rams were not the, one of the top three stories. Now, that may change by the end of the week. And I don't remember which writer tweeted that, but just yeah. an interesting – you know, but that's also part of – they've been in town for what? A cup of coffee? Yeah, 15 minutes. I mean, they've been here – yeah, this is like their second year, and, and they've already, you know, won 29 games or something like that. I mean, it's unbelievable how it t- they hit it. It takes years to build a fan base. And you, you see that here in Tampa for sure. And, and a lot of southern markets and, and – Teams that are, you know, communities that are growing and expanding, particularly Atlanta for years took that way, is that it takes mm-hmm. years to build a fan base. It doesn't happen just overnight. Winning helps it, speeds it up big time. Yeah. But where, where, how many cities can you say the NFL isn't king, even if they're not winning? You know what I mean? Like, LA would be most one. places. LA, well, LA is one. Because the, the Lakers rule that town and Dodgers are number tell two. Tell you what, it's not it, the case. It can turn around. Chicago. No, it's no. not the case in Chicago. That's a Bears town. Absolutely. It's a it is. Bears town. Even when the Cubs won the World Series, it's yep. still a Bears town. Mm-hmm. As many championships as the Bulls won, it was a Bears town. New England's a Boston um, town. Or, I mean, no you know, doubt. It's a Patriots town. I mean, they're, they love the Red Sox, but Patriots sure. right and now. They love the Bruins, I mean, and they love the Celtics. They love the Celtics. My God. Storied franchises, right? Um, so, yeah. It's... Like I said, the NFL is doing very, very well, and you can ask Roger Goodell if you don't believe me. Well, you'll hear so. you'll hear from him today just how well they're doing. Absolutely, it's can't miss TV. I will uh, I'll be listening for my boy Sam Farmer to give us some uh, some LA news. All right, so uh, let's let's get through this here quickly. We got uh, I mentioned the Rays, and I don't know if you saw this the other day. Uh, I'm not going to quote him, but I I'll give you a summary. Like um, Brent Honeywell, who of course was me and you went to the Fan Fest last year. At did we interview Brent? I can't remember. We may not. Have. We did not. No, but but he was everywhere. He oh, was, yeah. you know, he's the he's the stud, right? He was the mm-hmm. dude, and not not a little bashful. But he had, you know, he had the Tommy John injury. He said he's got some swag. By the way, he got a lot of swag. But you know, what he said like he thought that he caused that injury because he was trying to he was throwing like trying to throw 120 mile an hours in batting practice instead of just saying, hey, chill, man, you belong here. You're not going to make the team in batting practice. Just quit throwing so damn hard so early. Well, the expectations um, are high. He's putting pressure on himself. I mean, yeah, you, know, you so, don't want to see that, know, but you can understand where it comes from. Whether that's true or it was just going to go and you only have so many throws in them before that, before that time. I think that's more true. Comes. I mean, maybe he sped it up by doing that. But I think Could have. You know, your motion is going to determine whether you're going to have Tommy John more than anything, I think, in your, you know, your body makeup. but. But velocity, I think, has something to do with it. And maybe sure. he was – who, who knows? But he's coming back, and, 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 and we're looking at probably by June, maybe earlier, if everything's going really, really well. I mean, we don't know when he's going to – but the one thing he said was – and he and this was in complete seriousness. He was not mm-hmm. – this is not a uh, sort of a, you know, I'm being, I'm being flippant here. But he talked about how him and his dad, like, you know, the Rays won 90 games. I mean, who saw that coming, right, with all the changes they made? In a game with the, the Yankees of, and Red Sox, who won a division, I mean, who won 100 games each. Right, right. I mean, and, and they just stunned the baseball world with the, the whole opener concept and so on and so forth. Blake Snell wins the Cy Young. And, and he said that, you know, during the whole season, my dad and I, we just he'd look at me and he goes, how many games would they have won had you been not had you been healthy? I mean, they 100, 110. <laughs> I love it. it. Like, I love wait, it. Wait, really? And then he was uh, he's like, "Look, whenever I come back, and I'm paraphrasing, but whenever I come back, we'll have the best rotation in baseball, bar none. Like we got Cy Young award winner Blake Snell, guy that could win the Cy Young and Charlie Morton. Um, you know, who who's the Tyler uh, Glass now? Tyler Glass now throws throws a ball through a wall and me. <laughs> and I could win a Cy Young. So maybe in 2020. I, I mean, I don't expect. Look, t- pitchers are coming back from Tommy John surgery. Pitch. It takes a year. It, yeah. it takes a year to fully get back to being ace material or you know your absolute best stuff. I mean, you can pitch well and, and do decent, but you know, as with any injury, you know, we've talked about with Steven Stamkos, and it sure seems like with his knee, it took a full year of playing even just to get back to where it seems like now he's. You know, back to and maybe he's not where he was before, but you know, able to do everything on that knee. And I think with Tommy John surgery, and a lot of it's mental too. With that, it's got to be confidence. I can't, I cannot imagine being a guy who uses my legs for a living and having an ACL injury, and then 
getting to the point where I'm confident enough to cut and accelerate and mm-hmm. do all the things I did when it blew out. And the same would be true about throwing a baseball. I mean, they mm-hmm. can tell me, look, your strength is this, your mobility is that, you got to trust the process, you put in all the bullpens, okay, cut it loose. It'd be like, <gasps> yep. okay, like you'd just be waiting at some level. There's got in that mental block of, I don't want to go through the pain of this again. I hope I don't. Hope I don't throw too hard too soon. You know, there's got to be so it would have to take you, a, 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 you know, a thousand reps, and not just in the bullpen, but to actually go out there and before you would you would feel you just forgot about it. You know, or you're just out there pitching now. You're not mm-hmm. even thinking. Oh yeah, that's right. I had Tommy John surgery. That that's human nature, and I I agree with you. I think I think whatever Honeywell does this year will be a bonus, and I think it'll be that much better a year from now because mm-hmm. most most of the pitchers are. Yep. Um, but anyway, I love that. So we are just two weeks from the first workout, by the way. Yeah, pitchers and catchers report in 13 days. The first workout is in two weeks from today. Pretty amazing. And we'll be at Fan Fest here. Coming yeah, it's up, only uh, like, you know, negative 40 degrees up north, and we're starting spring training oh, in two geez. weeks. Did you see how cold it was up Ooh, there, by the way? It's getting colder, They're too. Minus 35 in, in a couple cities in Minnesota. Tonight, as we speak, it's going to be a minus 21 in Chicago. Good Lord. Yeah, I don't miss that. I don't. I've I've never missed it because I didn't live there. But I've gone up there when it was cold. Not that cold. Nobody wants to be that cold. Finally, your Tampa Bay Lightning are back in action after yeah those guys the long All Star break. They're still playing. No, there's been there's been games every night. You know, in the last few nights. But uh, finally, the Lightning back in action. They play in Pittsburgh and uh, get some of their players back, including Tyler Johnson. I guess the, I guess they're ready for the second half, whether whether they're ready or not. It's going to well, we'll see. Well, they got a tough schedule to start. So you got the you're at the Penguins and you're at the Islanders, who are leading the uh, Metro Division, and then at the Rangers on a back to back this weekend for Friday Saturday. So, mm-hmm. and then Vegas comes to town Tuesday. So you don't you come off the All Star break and buy, and you got tough teams. Yeah, there's there's no uh, there's no easy ones there. That's for sure. But I, I think that's better because I think you just want to jump into it and. You know, and be uh, keep your interest up. You know, you know, we talk about them getting bored or whatever. You know, I think some of the better teams you play, the more interested you stay. Absolutely, it's just going to be good to see something on TV. I mean, there's just been nothing to captivate captivate me other than you know the the endless sort of chatter about the Super Bowl, which I've I've been part of that, and I'll be writing stories in the Tampa Bay Times all week about it. I mean, we're not done, but. Um, it's it's such a buildup for for that one game, and they've been great games of late. So I'm expecting another good one, but I'm ready for some hockey to yep. break up the monotony a little bit. And then baseball's right around the corner. So uh, remember, folks, uh, I want to remind you if you're looking for a nice outdoor vacation, something uh, maybe even a day trip with your family, something to do with all the family, go see Captain Mike's, the number one customized manatee tour company in Kings Bay and Crystal River. This is just a wonderful thing to do. It's pure paradise up there. You can book online at swimmingwiththemantees.com or you can call 352-777-1796. Thanks for joining us. I'm Rick Stroud of the Tampa Bay Times. For Steve Versnick, have a great day, everybody. We'll talk to you tomorrow. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.